you guys think the stunning strike for the monk is too powerful? What level do you get it? Level five. So most campaigns that have monks see it real early. Yeah. Most people start at three, at three or, or four. five. Yeah. yeah, right? Like somewhere around there. What's the cost for it? I can't remember off the top of my head. Was it just like a couple of key points or something? I can tell you. Okay, stunning strike. Starting at fifth level, you can interfere with the flow of key in an opponent's body. When you hit another creature with a melee weapon attack, and your fists do count, you can spend one key point to attempt a stunning strike. The target must succeed on a constitution saving throw or be stunned until the end of your next turn. Which means that... They basically miss a round of play. And you will have advantage to hit them with another stunning strike next round. Broken. Fifth level. And you have, what, five key points at that level? At fifth level? Yeah, you have as many key points as you do... Levels. Levels. Yeah. I can see that getting out of hand, but I probably wouldn't change it. Uh, I very much hate it. As a forever DM, I have gone up against a couple of monks, and that shit will just end your boss fights. There's nothing that you can do. You have to throw minions and barriers in the way. Well, I was going to say, because that would be your... You would just throw a bunch of smaller, like, nobodies in there. And they would waste their key points on that kind of stuff. Yeah, but by the time that... A, like, the monk doesn't have to get many more levels before it is doing a ridiculous amount of feet around to be able to just walk through your minions to get sure, up Sure, but let it. And because while it's doing all of that, the rest of the party burns out what they've got. So by the time the monk actually gets around... To using it on the, you know, big bad evil guy. Everybody else has been tapped for everything they got already. And but, a constitution saving throw for a big bad evil guy. Well, it depends. If they're a mage, they're going down in the first hit. That's true. But at what point would it be like, oh, well, never mind. It's a monk. It can catch up with a mage. Never mind. I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my problem is that I, on more than one occasion, I've seen this on the second round wipe out the tank. Right, where you have the one big guy and three little guys around him, and like this is just, and it's an auto pass for combat encounters, and you can do it all the freaking time. So here's the thing about being a DM that I really like is that you can fudge your roles, and nobody's the wiser. <laughs> I was gonna say right? something like that, but I'm like, I don't want to be that asshole. <laughs> oh no, I'm that asshole. But uh, so you know, like, oh, the Constitution save is fourteen. Gee. 23, you know? <laughs> the magic number is 27, by the way. Anytime you want something to magically hit, 27. <laughs> but, you know, like, you just, you got to measured expectations, right? Make him burn through his key points to figure it out. I mean, how many times, Adam, have you run an encounter where you've had to change the hit points of a monster to level out the playing field? I never do it on the fly. I never do it. I will, oh. I, I will homebrew the crap out of shit before the session. But I will never, ever, ever change what the hit points or the DC It's on you as a DM a, if you fucked up going into it. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I, I, I try to stay honest to myself about it. However, there are some things that are just like, I was not expecting you guys to try to lift that building. Uh, I will come up with a difficulty class now for it. Yeah. Right? But, but for monster hit points and stuff, no. I always just run max hit points. Period. I always just try to feel out the table if they're having fun with this encounter and they're doing good things and it's working let them have another round or two if they've already beat it and everything like just get it done and over with like let's make the game interesting not just stick to the rules oh i like to stick to the rules because that's why i always come up with something crazy i am the rules oh my there it is (laughs) (laughs) 
Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast with your DMs, Adam, Dave, and Megan. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Adam, and with me are Megan and Dave, and today we're talking about condition effects again. We're reconditioning, yes? Yes, yes, yes. Shut up, Dave. Stop it. Okay. (laughs) All right, so what have we done? We've done blinded, we've done charmed, deafened, frightened, we've done grappled, invisible, poisoned, prone, restrained, and today we're going to cover incapacitated, paralyzed, petrified, and stunned in not that order. And there's really only one other one that's that's included in the base level, which is um, unconscious. However, we have another two condition episodes after this coming because we're covering all of those crazy other rules that technically exist that nobody talks about that aren't really conditions, but they drag your character down. So for this one, though, we're talking about pretty much captive audiences. You are stuck where you are and you've got to put up with it. Yay! My favorite part. Uh, does this frustrate you guys as players? All day, every day. You, you don't you don't like being stunned and incapacitated and all that. I feel, and I've talked about this. I talked about this in the grappled episode too. As soon as I stop being able to do stuff, I'm the player that definitely sits back, crosses my arms, and huffs for a minute. I'll get over it in like a round or two, but like I'll be like, well, this fucking sucks because you spend all of your time building a character to be able to do all these cool things in battle, and you can't do shit. That is going to be a constant theme today is like, you're robbing the agency away from the players, right? Which is the one thing that we always say, don't do that. And yet these conditions are very much, do that. Uh, Dave, how do you feel about... Uh, I mean, as a player, it doesn't really bother me that much. I normally will have gotten myself into that predicament and am willing to pay the price. Uh, However, it sucks when uh, you've got a table that doesn't go through combat quickly and you're stunned for 1d4 rounds and it comes up with a 4. And, and you then sit you got to sit hour. there yeah, and doing nothing. Well, the wizard looks up their spell for the 19th time. Exactly. Yeah. You just kind of check out and pull up your phone. Because, I mean, I'm playing all online right now with my friends. So they can't see what I'm doing anyways. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mute the microphone. Yep. Yeah. So uh, uh, it has a place, absolutely. But it you got to do it right. It's weird that there are so many similar conditions in 5th Ed, considering that they have just straight up missed other things. Like, their swallowed mechanic is weird. Their drowning mechanic is is just bizarre. It's great how long you can survive while drowning. It, it's minutes. <laughs> it, it is minutes. It is ridiculous. There are so many... Like, they don't have rules for being scarred. They've got weird rules about curses that are poorly defined. Like, it's weird that they spend so much time on this. And let's get into the basic, the first one, which is incapacitated. Because everything else is going to say... You're incapacitated. You're incapacitated and. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's the base for this. An incapacitated creature can't take actions or reactions. Now, I actually went and looked this up, and it says in the rulebook, you choose when to take a bonus action during your turn unless the bonus action's timing is specified, and anything that deprives you of your ability to take actions also prevents you from taking a bonus action. So this does take away the rogue's ability to dash or disengage or any of that stuff, right? Yeah. So you do still have your movement. That's what incapacitated gives you. So if you were to use like a bonus action spell... You can't do it. Because you can't move? Like, move? Is that no, 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 because you don't have an action. Okay. Right? If it takes away your ability to have an action, then you do not get a bonus action. Okay, got it. You also don't get reactions, so the only thing you can do is move. Which is, I think, the exact opposite of restrained, which is the only thing you can do is 
The only thing you can't do is move. Everything else you, you can, can do. Yeah. yeah. So you can do your spells. You can do your. You can nonsense. do attacks as long as stuff is You're not nearby. Yeah. yeah. So how do you guys feel about this basic mechanic? I see this all the time in monster stats and the stuff that they do. They hit and they will do incapacitated um, condition conditional effects. How do you guys feel about this one? Is it too simplistic? Like, I don't even know why we have this. I don't think it's needed. I feel like if you can cut out incapacitated and just use stun, paralyzed, petrified. And just the incapacitated is, it's just there. I don't think it needs to be there on its own. It's weird to me because it says you can't take actions and I still have 3.5 brain. So I have a move action and a standard action. Yeah. So when I read it can't take actions, I can't do either. No, it's specifically the action, action. Action, yeah. action, yeah. So, I mean... Obviously, your clarification helps, but uh, yeah, again, I agree. It doesn't... There's no point in having it. No, everything else here says, you know, every other thing we're going to cover today starts with... You're, you are incapacitated. Yeah. 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 This, I feel, is... This, to me, is what stunned should be. The idea that you get smacked upside the head. I played sports enough that there'd be the occasional contact. You take a knee in the temple or whatnot. And you get up and you can move around, but you're not doing much anything else for the next couple of seconds, right? That's what this feels like to me. Yeah. Where that legit is stunned. Like, yeah. So. Like stars around your head. Yeah, like kind of. Like a moment. Yeah. yeah. Like Tweety birds. Yeah. yeah. You can yeah, still yeah. walk to the sidelines, but you're not. Yeah, you're winded. You need to take a minute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's weird. Yeah, because everything that you just explained, you could also say that you were stunned. Yes. Right? Yep. So I want to grab dice really quickly. With this, how do you keep it interesting for you as as a player when you become incapacitated? I got a two. Five. Eleven. <clears throat> I don't know. I haven't really used it. Uh, I've, I've got limited experience in fifth edition, and I don't think it's come up yet where we've actually been incapacitated. It's always been stunned or right. something else. But if you were a player, yeah. here's the question. Uh-huh. If you were a player, how would you keep yourself entertained? What advice do you have for other players out there to keep yourself entertained during this debilitating condition effect so that you don't just pull your phone out and ride your thumb or whatever it Well, is? it would depend because if I still have my movement and I'm a paladin, I can certainly get between uh, attacking creatures and party members and just be that meat shield that I'm supposed to be. You can still suck up damage. Right? Yeah. If I'm a wizard, I'm not going to do that. Right? So, I mean, it's kind of situation dependent but uh, you know i would try to play with my strength if i'm a wizard i'm just gonna use that move action to get the heck out of dodge yeah but i mean that's really all i could do and i mean that's that's enough to keep me paying attention for sure okay Mike? um i think the the thing you always forget about is when you're during your turn you can talk to the other players yeah so i feel like that's forgotten sometimes so yes use your movement to get out of dodge but at the same time you can use your voice to warn that whatever attack just hit you is going to hurt someone else or just like use that moment to actually speak to the people on your team navigate coordinate if you're the paladin organize them to the battle structure you want them to be in if you're the wizard it's a warning or it's a don't worry i'm gonna heal you next round or whatever like use that time to speak to the team do you think that that is metagaming no i think that if you're on a battlefield and you're within 30 40 feet of people you're going to be yelling at each other yeah, I agree. I think I think a lot of people would say though that if you sit there and go, oh, you need to go cast this spell, or you start doing that level of coaching, or, uh, or I'm, I'm going to cast this next round, they would say that that's metagame. I wouldn't go that far. I would be just along the lines of just like, don't worry, I've got you. 
Yeah. Like that kind of communication. The, the general, like, like yeah. could someone please blow this motherfucker up? Yeah. <laughs> right? like, or like, watch out for that fucking tentacle that just came out of the ceiling. Yeah. Like those kinds of speeches. Not like, hey, guess what? I'm going to use my, this spell, so my movement, so I'm going to, not you, that if stuff. If you take but... away the mechanical side of it and you stick with the, the emotional flavor. side of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my, that was going to be my answer too, is, is talking through it and whatnot. But I really like the idea of using, of keeping yourself in the action economy, right? The way that most creatures are balanced, the main feature that they have with their challenge rating is how many attacks around they get. Mm-hmm. Well, plus hit points and AC. Those are really the big things that, that dictate what makes them as difficult as they are. If I can get in there and suck up a couple of hits, even if I'm a d8 hit die kind of character like a like a monk or a druid or whatnot and i can suck up that damage that means that the the squishy sorcerer is not going to get beat upside the head then that makes a lot of sense i'm still an active part of it and i also love the idea of a guy just getting totally beat in the face seeing stars not able to really do anything but he's just walking in the way of more hits (laughs) <laughs> but like not not actually aware that that's what he's doing he's yeah. just kind of like stumbling around and just getting hit all over the place just... <laughs> oh that just sounds sad now. <laughs> um all right let's uh let's move on to the to the next one and the one that i think most people have the biggest problem with especially dungeon masters stunned so a stunned creature is incapacitated as we just talked about and they can't move, and they can only speak falteringly. Now, first of all, I'm going to point out that it says that you can speak falteringly here, which means that it is implied that you can speak normally with incapacitated. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say that with the, the idea that you can't take actions is you can't speak or form thoughts. And nope, that's this. That is what we are coming up to now. The creature automatically fails strength and deck saves the attack rolls against a creature have advantage. Yeah. How do you guys feel about this? Well, when I first read that they can only speak falteringly, I read it as they can only speak flatteringly. I was like, <laughs> oh, so okay. Well, you are stunning. <laughs> Stop it. That was a great punch to my head. Yeah. Good, 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 good job. Ow, fuck. It was great. It was great. It's my favorite. It's my favorite when that happens. Yes. Oh, Lord. So, uh, we talked a little bit about the stunning strike in the cold open at the beginning. I don't like it because I think it happens way too early. I'm fine with you getting it at later levels. But the stunned condition, where you as a player have all of this taken away from you, and all you can do is speak in broken sentences, how does that feel? (sighs) This is so close to paralyzed that it just, again, almost seems unnecessary. Like, I get it that it's, it is necessary, but it's just, like, yeah. just that far off, right? Like, trying, they're real close. I keep trying to think that, like, having this many of the same thing isn't necessary, but it, you can understand that it's, it's the levels of being stunned. Like, it's almost like it should be stunned, and these are the levels at which you are stunned. Almost like a table, like, exhaustion is, yeah. right? So you can get hit, and the more you get hit by someone that can stun you, the more levels you get. See, I'm fine with that. Even for monks, level five, you can incapacitate people. Yeah. Then the, then yeah, the villain can run away. This right? increases to stunned at level 10 and paralyzed at level 15 kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. And, and I would have 
maybe even a couple of crazy things in the middle, like um, like your movement is halved, right? Or maybe in the first one, you can take an action or a reaction, and it levels with you for a for a monk, right? Yeah. So, but that's just me. How do you guys feel about it as a from a player perspective where you are getting stunned? Well, this is the your turn is over. Like, there's literally nothing you can do on your turn. So this is the, I'm going to take my phone out and do nothing. I don't like it because it means that the bad guys can critical hit me real easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, and the majority of spells and even breath weapons and effects and whatnot rely on a deck save to get you out of it. You auto-fail that. Mm -hmm. Right. And when I think about strength saves as well, I'm sitting there thinking, like, the roof caves in, you're dead. Yeah. What strength save are we are we dealing with here? You're gonna get crushed by the closing walls. You're getting you're getting drawn and quartered, and those horses are just gonna run, right? What is the strength save that you are auto failing here? That is just like they all seem so deadly. Well, yeah, I think the only because I was trying to think of what you strength save when you're in battle, and usually it would just be like to stop pushbacks from happening. So like if they hit you with something, you're strength saving to not be pushed back. Yeah, that's the only thing that you're really saving against for that. So if anything, they're helping you by pushing you back. <laughs> <laughs> Your, your faltering words are, hit me. Hit me. P- push me, please. <laughs> so this to me does feel like the Tweety Bird effect, but without the moving, right? Without being able to get off to the sideline. Yeah. From a player perspective, if I get stunned, I'm going to be pissed. Yes. That is just annoying. As a DM, when, I, when my monsters get stunned, I'm also pissed. <laughs> this is very annoying. Yeah. Uh, and there's a surprising amount of creatures that can inflict this condition effect how do you guys from player's perspective counter that boredom that upset that push back and huff when you can only do basic talking let's roll for it Ooh, 19 Ooh, i had a 17 nine dave you keep going first uh so for paralyzed no no, no. oh nope we're nope. stunned stunned we're still on stunned yeah yep mm. how do you keep yourself entertained during this you can't duck in front of people now uh i don't I wait my turn and just... You're just happy to be a pouty player? Uh, yeah, and this is when I go and get a glass of water and hopefully it comes back to me real quick. And, and I'm going to just sit there and make those shitty jokes that get people off topic real fast. That, that's when I will become the distraction at the table, which I like uh, being a player, but I hate that player as a DM. So I will become what I hate the most. I will, yeah, I will straight up throw fucking dice at you. But... Yeah, 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 because I'm just trying to have fun. Okay, do you have any advice for anybody then? listening about how to make the most out of this situation uh, throw the pointy dice first like <laughs> <laughs> you just really don't like stun hey uh it's it takes away everything that makes the game fun it takes away your agency right uh and i can't you can't you literally can't do anything except mumble out a couple of words that might help but if you're sitting at a table with people you've been playing with forever and ever, you're not going to say anything useful. They know what they're doing already. Yeah, one of the things that I I will do when I'm knocked right out, when I'm stunned, and honestly, as a dungeon master, when I put a... I end up, quote-unquote, stunned all the freaking time anyway because I put my, my enemy there on the table. And then I know when I've done my prep... All of the abilities that it can do. It's only got three different kinds of attacks. It doesn't have a character sheet. Multiple pages of shit it can do. Right? And yet, I'm sitting there waiting for the wizard to choose a spell and the paladin to go, Which 
Which smite? I have three smites. Which smite should I use? Right. And what spell slot? How many dice is that again? Let me count the ways. Yeah, and and the druid sitting there going, now does wild shape stack with temporary hit dice? Hold on, I gotta grab a book. So I spend a lot of my time waiting anyway, and I use that time to go through my notes. So for players, and I will ask you, Megan, because I think that you are probably you have witnessed this around the table more than most others because you sit at a at table with Dan. <laughs> um, who needed to have Indomitable written across the top of yes. his sheet and forgot it 90% of the time anyway. This is the opportunity where I'm going to start looking at those weird racial features that I never think about yeah. or the class feature, the subclass feature that I picked up at level two and, you know, it's not applicable. We've been fighting undead for a while, so I, I don't really use it, but it, it's starting to maybe become a little bit more applicable these days. I'm going through... The items that I've picked up, and I'm like, guys, do we ever identify a blue potion? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, make so, a note to do that later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in my head, the way that I justify this in character is, uh, do you guys ever wake up from that dream and suddenly that, you know the moment when you wake up at two in the morning and you remember the name of the song? Oh, yes. Or right? the name of that actor that you were trying to think of earlier from that movie you saw when you were three years old? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like the idea of getting your bell rung so hard you can't do anything else, but you're just like, oh, I've got freaking daggers in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them's red. <laughs> and, and that's my thought process. But as a player, I can sit there and I can look at what I've got listed out, my complicated sheet of, like, I don't remember who ugly gerbilga is I don't know what this word is anymore on my sheet. Apparently he was a noble we met three towns back. Does anyone else remember what he is? <laughs> right? And I'm going back to my notes and trying to put shit together because I have seen how players write notes. It is usually the first half of one word and then a penis that yeah. has been doodled on the on the page. So at that point I'm going to try to go back and kind of figure out just what these penises mean. Like is it an orientation thing? Like this one's down, that one's <laughs> What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do the dicks mean? Uh, I I normally take care of that stuff with the like the recap at the beginning of the session. I always spend like a considerable amount of time, like maybe 15-20 minutes with everybody going through the notes that they have and going through not round by round, but systematically what we did last time. I uh, See, I always do that too. I, Megan knows this. I always start off every session. We know we're playing when, when I go, so what happened last time? Yeah. And that that kicks us off. However, I'm talking about the notes from like six or seven sessions ago. The nuances. Yeah. The, yeah. The, hey, you know what? We do have a contact on the other continent that can identify shit for free. We just haven't thought about them in a while. Can we send them a message of some sort? Right? Like it's that kind of stuff that we haven't thought about in a couple of months. Right? Or, no, I'll and, still... and again, item lists. Item lists and class features because I'm telling you, people forget them. I was going to say the class features is the most important one. You're not wrong. The class features yeah. is important because that's not something I'm going over with you. you yeah. Know, that, that's your problem. You know, if you yeah. can't remember it, you don't do it. That's fine. Even the rate, like your race features too. There have been times where I forget there are things I can do because I'm a human or because I'm a dragonborn or whatever. There you, is right? more to a background than simply to skill proficiencies. Yeah. There's so much more. And a lot of the stuff is like, oh, hey, you get free room and board in like harbor towns. Mm -hmm. And like, well, that's fucking good to know. I didn't write that shit down on my character sheet. I just took my proficiencies and moved on, right? Yeah. And so using the opportunity to go back and see what else is going on with my character. When I'm stunned, I got nothing else to do. I'm, I'm going to do this. That makes sense. 
I was going to say something along the lines of, like, you use that time to strategize your next move, because usually when you're in battle, you spend your whole round planning out your turn, and then the asshole right before you did something that fucks up your entire plan. <coughs> Every fucking time. Um, and Dan always had the, by far, the highest initiative as well, so he would go first, so it's top of the round. Every time. Yeah. Just just get out of my way, sir. That's brutal. Um, so That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like it's a good time when you're when you literally can't do anything to think of other weird creative ways to use your abilities to your point check your check your stuff. But I also find that's the time to look at your spells and look at like your even just your basic attacks. How can I combo this next round or when I am awake? What can I do next? Mm-hmm. I also just thought I would just try and figure out what weird swear words I can make with only being able to speak, you know, flatteringly. <laughs> <laughs> You are fucking beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be some kind of form of entertainment. Because I do feel, and I've talked about this in a few other conditions episodes, I can be the player that will sit back and huff and cross my arms for about five or ten minutes every once in a while if something doesn't go my way. Like, we're human. It happens. But it, if you let it go on too long and not just take it lightheartedly, it will eventually impede everybody else's ability to have a good time. Even though you're the only one that's having an issue, right? So... But I mean, if we're a human, you're allowed to have an emotional reaction to being disappointed in the fact that your character can't do what you want it to do. But at the end of the day, you're all there to have a good time. So what you can do to keep the comedy up or the seriousness up or cheer on your other players, like don't coach them, but just give them like, that was a really awesome move, like good combo, like be involved in their turns just from an emotional standpoint, I think is a good thing to do just to be productive at the table. That's actually a really good point for everybody all of the time. If you can make the other players around the table as important as your own character in your mind. If, if you can stay interested in the idea that they're using the second level spell instead of their sixth level spell, and the sixth level one could probably end this encounter right away. Why are they using the second? And you start to think like them and figure it out. You become more aware of the tactics around the table. You will become a better player. Yeah, because it will, it will help you in the future in the sense that if you more understand what this paladin does, then you can actually support them better in the next battle. Yeah, you can predict what they're going to do a exactly. little easier. Yeah. All right. All right, so let's take a second and jump away to a break, and we will be back with Paralyzed in a moment. Hi, everybody, it's Adam. Once again, we're dedicating a full episode to conditions and condition effects in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. And we can't have these conversations without discussing our old friend, WildBot 3D. WildBot 3D has really revamped their website since the last time we discussed them on the show, and you should definitely check out the updated options there. They still have those glorious tracker rings that display the conditions in 3D on your gaming table, and they fit so beautifully around standard medium-sized minis and cover nearly everything we've been discussing on these condition-heavy episodes. They're color-coded, easy to read, unique, and fun to add to all of your D&D games. I use them in my own game all the time, and I've come to rely on them to keep track of which character has what spell or condition affecting them. My personal favorite is the Enlarged Tracker, but they're all great for both DMs and players alike to buy. Monks that stun, clerics that curse, and warlocks that hex, there are tracker rings for you in here too. But WildBot 3D offers more than just these tracker rings now. There are also unique character sheets for martial and caster classes, there's beautiful dice, and hilarious D&D themed t-shirts. My next purchase is going to be the initiative tracker rings, which help display who's going in which order, and are incredibly useful for keeping track of multiple monsters on your map. These things are a game changer, so head on over to wildbot3d.com and check them out on Instagram. But for now, 
let's head on back to the discussion. Okay, so, paralyzed. Starts off with, you're incapacitated. Because that's the word that we're going to see more and more as we keep going through the conditions. The creature automatically fails strength and deck saving throws. You can't move and you can't speak at all. Attack rolls have advantage against you. And any attack that hits you is a critical if that attack is within five feet of you. Which is nuts. Yeah, you might as well be dead. <laughs> that, that, that's coup de gras territory. You will be, yeah. yeah. Well, they don't have coup de gras anymore. There's the, they used to have a mechanic for that in 3.5. No way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you I, did, just, I didn't like it. I didn't like it either. This is this it's, is something I like a little bit better. Except for that one time, the monk we were playing with Kudagrad, that black dragon. That was yeah. That was that was, that was, that was good. Oh man. Yeah. So um, it, it made for big, cool set piece moments, but it also would just set DMs on their ass, right? Mm-hmm. What do you what do you do here? So with this, with paralyzed, how do you guys feel about it? I hate it. Why? Well, here's like. Mm. I mean, there's really not a whole lot to like about it. <laughs> I mean, I like. Uh, as a DM, there's a lot to like about it. Touche. Until it happens to your guy. Yeah, you know, when it happens, mm, yes, I see what you're, what you're saying. <laughs> I feel like this is great for any character with more than 60 hit points. You're okay for a round or two. When it's under 60 hit points, when you do this to a goblin, when your level 5 paladin walks up, and for some reason the goblin is paralyzed, and they just get that auto crit, that goblin is dead. The goblin is missed yeah. at the end of that mace. Right. However, to a dragon, that's nothing. Whatever. It's going to eat up that damage just fine. A level 12 fighter is going to laugh this off as well. A kobold comes up. Let's even say uh, some little bit heavier hitting. Like a, a bone devil comes up and hits you and just gets that auto crit on you. Okay, sure. You're still going to shrug that shit off. It's a 30 year hit points. Players always panic when they lose more than 10 hit points at a time. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have any idea how many healing spells there are in in fifth edition? There's no, a I'm a paladin who doesn't use them. <laughs> yeah. Right, smite, 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 smite. Dave, how do you feel about this? Uh, I, I, if you're using it like we had talked about with the the tiers of incapacitated, incapacitated, stunned, paralyzed, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think if you're doing this like you said at low levels, I mean, you're just it's a death sentence. Just kill it now. Why are you going to continue? Mm-hmm. You know, just dragging it out. It makes it less interesting. Uh, however, if you... Th- where this one, I think, really shines is when you get into, like, your later Tier 3, Tier 4. You're fighting the the lieutenant of the boss who's got his, like, three big henchmen kind of thing. Yeah. It's really useful there because that's when, you know, as a player, that's a really good, effective time to use it. And you're probably not walking around doing this to every one of them. You're probably doing this once and doing that, then doing something else. So... It's a good way to neutralize one small threat or, or one large one to deal with the other one. It's a good this, distraction. This helps like, you rebalance the, the encounter. Yeah, it gives you a, a second to take stock of what's going on and reevaluate yeah. and go from there in your later tier encounters. But yeah, no, at the be, at tier one, tier two, no, it's game breaker. Yeah, I feel like it, it works really well in a DM's favor too that if your team is rolling up to a big, big bad that you know is going to kill them and you want to give them pause. There are a lot of abilities that usually big, big bads have to paralyze them essentially. Like we talked about this in a lot of our dragon episodes where they have the ability to just stop them for a second and be like, you might want to talk about this before you 
act rationally. Especially the good dragons as well. They will just straight up slow you or or they've got the repulsion breath to knock you back or whatever. Yeah, just to take that moment of pause and be like, I'm sorry, but we could actually just hear me out before yeah. you react, right? I would use this as well for anyone who is asleep. Not the unconscious, but paralyzed. I'll, I'll say it all again. You're incapacitated, which means you don't take actions or reactions. Mm-hmm. You can't move. You can't speak. You automatically fail strength and deck saves. Attack rolls against you have advantage. And any creature that hits you uh, will get a critical hit if they're within five feet of you. If you're asleep, doesn't that sum it up nicely? Checks out. Kerstab. <laughs> That's one of the things that I'm missing, honestly, is, is the sleep condition, which, again... Has existed in previous editions and does not exist anymore in 5th Ed. I feel like Paralyzed is actually the right level. I, I The only thing that I would add to it for sleep is that you'd probably have disadvantage on perception checks. Oh, yeah, insight. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you have any idea how many times I've looked for something like a sleep effect? Because, oh, everybody goes down for the night and we only put one person on watch. Yeah. And I just want to make you roll con saves to stay awake. So that if you fall asleep, I can have something come up and smack you. Yeah. Well, right. I've, I've had DMs do that before, where if you're on watch, you have to roll one con save to see if you actually stay awake during your watch. Like, I've, I've had, I've been involved in games like that, and it does make it more interesting for the DM and for the players, because then you can have those random encounters, right? Yeah. Yes, Dave, you're smirking. Um, just a couple days ago when we played, they put the NPC player up for watch, and he fell asleep. And zombies came and attacked them, so I like this. This is <laughs> it resonates. <laughs> they were not too thrilled. Well, I do feel like because we always forget sometimes that it should be fun for the DM too, and I think a lot of the fun comes from the random encounters and putting them in situations they weren't expecting. And I think that having a con save to sleep with the you know the, the paralyzed feature as your sleep, it, it kind of gives them the freedom to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. The DM, nobody remembers that the DM is a player. Yeah. You are not allowed to have fun, Adam. Oh, fuck. Tell me about it. I'm too busy doing podcasts. (laughs) So how do you stay interested then? If you get paralyzed, what are you doing? To keep your mind active and and to stay engaged in the story so that you don't just pull a Dave and whip your phone out. I did say phone. Let's roll dice. You bleep that out. (laughs) Five. I'm rolling like shit. Dave, roll off. We both got tens. I got a 12. I got a 5. All right. I'm just copying everybody this time. (laughs) Um, Honestly, for me, I'm going to run my comedic inner monologue. You get paralyzed and all of a sudden, I remember the day. I was a child. It was a sunny day and my mother came out of the bed. And I'm just going to monologue through my turn. Mm -hmm. I still get my turn, but I'm going to try to do something where I'm stuck inside my own head. And I'm going to do... I'm going to try to do something to make everybody kind of be aware that I'm sitting there off in my own brain doing my own thing so they haven't forgotten me because a lot of times when one person gets paralyzed, everybody just writes them off as scenery until they come back. Mm -hmm. And that is very much not the case because as we said with incapacitated, you can still take a bunch of damage. Yeah. Right. And when you get hit, you're taking a lot of damage. So that's, that's intense. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to keep my brain active and I'm going to try to be a little bit more comedic with it and, and, entertain myself and i have probably 20 minutes until my turn comes around to write a ridiculous little six second monologue it's true <laughs> you're not wrong uh i would take the opportunity to go get a refresh uh, ref- <clears throat> I, I would take the opportunity to get a refreshing ice cold glass 
of Coca-Cola. Sponsor us. Um, <laughs> no, I, I would just honestly, I would, I would probably spend the time looking up combat maneuvers and stuff that I, I don't really know that well. Uh, as a DM, I don't normally have the downtime to do this kind of thing. But mm-hmm. as a player, this is when I can go and, and shore up my knowledge on things that I don't have that much of. Right? Like, uh, I'm still new to 5th edition. You know, I'm still learning. Uh, so it's it's a good opportunity for me to kind of go back, look in the book, and find these things that I not necessarily are applicable to my character, but maybe it's applicable to the warlock at my table who's a new player and I can help them with this new mechanic that I haven't used or they haven't used before. Mm. There are a couple of utterly ignored sections of the player's handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide, which are all about rules for combat and adventuring. And, like, everyone sees the table for gear, but how many people know how a net works? Not, not... Not networks. That's not what I'm saying. You mean the Matrix? No, no. That's that's no. Who's a net? God, fuck. <laughs> All right. So nobody knows how nets operate in fifth edition. Fuck both of you. So <laughs> I miss Dan. Do no, you? No, no, no. I don't. <laughs> so the. Fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of really good info that's in the player's handbook, that's in the Dungeon Master's Guide that that is completely ignored. Or people read it once, or they only go look at it like, I want to be able to push somebody, how do I do that? And then they never go back. There are mechanics in there. You can find the shit. It's a great idea to pick it up. I don't like people flipping through books at the table, but it does need to happen sometimes. I, I am all for flipping through a book at the table if it's not your turn. Sure. And that's that's kind of my caveat. A lot of the times, though, um, you will have someone who's trying to look up a spell, and then it will come to their turn, and they will realize, like Megan said, it's the person before you that screws your plan up. Every time. And so you're reaching for that book again, flipping pages, and wait a minute, was that in Xanathar's? Yeah. Hold on a sec. All right, does anybody have the Sword Coast Adventures Guide? All right, who's got Google, right? Like, well, yeah, let me just pull it up real quick. Ugh, yeah. It drives me nuts. Exactly. And so I find that having a book in your lap will immediately bleed into your turn. But when you're paralyzed anyway, you've got not just 20 minutes, you've got a while. You could read a chapter. Like, do your thing. It's true. What do you do on your turn, Megan? Uh, well, I was just going to say before When the I, pouting is done. When the pouting is done. I was going to say, as I was getting paralyzed, I would try to figure out what stance my character would take. Like, what is my body doing physically? Are you going to stand up and, and hold that pose for the next 20 minutes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I think that, I think to everybody's point, it's a lot of the same what we've been talking about in the sense that this is the time where you can re-strategize. And I would think that if this was the first time this happened to my character specifically, I would almost think that this character now would start researching, how do I avoid this from happening in my future? Mm-hmm. If I'm a magic character, am I now looking at counter spells? Am I now looking at how can I in the future stop this from happening to me? Because we always forget how shitty it is. And how to stop it from happening until it happens. And then you're fucked and then you're mad about it. So I think that if it's the first time that it's happened to you, this is the time to spend to figure out how you can make it easier for your character to avoid it happening to them in the future. So it's the downtime to do that research. But of course, just staying involved. And again, to your point of comedic with using your inner monologue and words, I would probably use just the position of my body as something to be really entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just setting up a big fuck you, like, middle finger in the middle of it, and you're just standing there like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, I got another question for you guys. From a Dungeon Master's perspective, 
when one of the players gets paralyzed, do you have your enemies attack everyone else and prioritize the people that are not paralyzed? Or do they go for the kill? I think it depends on the enemy, to be honest with you. Because there are certain ones that are more barbaric than others in the sense where they would rather attack the strongest thing attacking them. Or there are those that are like, well, I know this is the weakest thing, so I'm going to attack the weakest thing. So I think it would be dependent on what's what's its immediate danger, I would say. Dave? Yeah, same kind of idea. It would have to be how smart the bad guy is and what the circumstance of battle is. If... You know, the only guy who's paralyzed is 40 feet in front of the rest of the party and there's three guys around him. Yeah, he's going to get stabbed by all three of those guys. That's just how yeah, it is. Yeah, if you're surrounded. Sorry. Yeah. Right? Especially if it's something probably low CR level, like a cobalt goblin kind of thing. They're not thinking that, oh, well, this one's done. Let's go get this guy now. We'll come back to it. Like, they're not. They're just looking at what's in front of them and going for that easy kill. So it, it would really have to depend on... Your stab motion, by the way, nobody else can see it, looks a whole lot like you feeding the birds. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you just couldn't say it. I was like watching you trying so hard. He's, he's <laughs> distributing literature. <laughs> oh, that was the best struggle I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yep. I, well, I think, I think it... it Depends on whether or not they're really high or low intelligence. Yeah. I've had this argument with Dan and Terry both a couple times on previous episodes. Where, when do you go for the kill? And I think that a beast, a wolf, just because you're knocked down, they don't give a fuck. They're going to rip your throat out. Your food. Right? But at the same time, a, a, an ancient black dragon will say, okay, I get a kill. I'm going for the kill. I'm removing him permanently from the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Right? I will let this guy hit me. Because I'm going to remove him and that's going to cause more pain and more damage. Yeah. Right? If there's a bounty hunter, this is a guaranteed payday. It, it's curious to me at what point they're going to realize that someone else is the bigger threat. Like, if it's the ogre's turn and the person just got paralyzed in front of them, would they recognize that a person is paralyzed and then reprioritize? Or would they just keep smashing away? Or is it the other player's job to distract the ogre away? Yeah. Right, and like so, call command or something like that, just to get its attention away from the. Yeah, or even just shoot it. Yeah, like it's not going to take much to draw its attention to you. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's an interesting question for dungeon masters to say: at what point does your monster realize that someone's been taken out of play? Yeah. And do they care if it's a spider and someone just goes limp and they drop? Well, okay, that's a meal. I will come back to that later. And I want them alive. Mm-hmm. I want them paralyzed. Yeah. Right? And But again, at the same time, an owlbear is probably just territorial. And we've knocked that guy down. He's no longer a threat. But I'm still going to wipe him out because I don't want anything else in my territory. Right? Yeah. So, so it's like intelligence itself is not even... A, like the intelligence stat's not a great indicator. Yeah. As well. I almost need to roll insight or... Or in, Motive and initiative, basically. Like, yeah. What so, is it trying to do? Like, to your point, like, if it's a black dragon, it's, it's going to be like, get the fuck out and it's going to kill you. But a silver dragon or one of the better side dragons is yeah. going to be like, I just need to incapacitate you so I can get out because I don't know, I have no joy in killing you. Yeah. Right? You, you can't speak or move or anything, but you can listen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have a story to tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think that whenever I see the paralyzed condition appear in one of my monster stat blocks like hey i can do this to someone else 
I've got to stop and really think. Stunned as well. At what point am I prioritizing active members? Yeah. All right. Let's move to my personal favorite. Petrified. A petrified creature is transformed along with any non-magical object it is wearing or carrying into a solid, inanimate substance, usually stone. Yes. Usually. I laughed out loud when I read that because I was trying to think of all the other kinds of... Pudding. You just turn into pudding. And mush. Just... <laughs> but it, it, it does say solid, but like... Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the... the is, does jello count? Yeah. I would say so. Cool. Um, you become a gelatinous barbarian. Uh, its weight increases by a factor of 10 and it ceases aging. The creature is incapacitated, of course, can't move or speak, and is unaware of its surroundings. But that doesn't mean that it's not aware, like you're trapped inside your own brain. Attack rolls against a creature have advantage. The creature automatically fails strength and deck saves. You have resistance to all damage. Strangely, that even includes psychic. The creature is immune to poison and disease, although a poison or disease already in its system is suspended and not neutralized. How do you guys feel about this? I feel like it's a character ender. I don't. I feel like you could use this to your advantage if you get somewhere and a player gets poisoned and you have no way to fix it and it's going to kill them. Petrify. You petrify them and drag their ass back to town and fix them. I'm trying to think of what else this would be like a, a boon to have. And I like the idea of you are on a ship that is sinking and you've got like a sea elf. One of your players can breathe underwater. Just petrify everybody else and drag their asses to shore. Yeah, like this This one. This takes you nine weeks to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not? Roll a d10. That's how many weeks yeah. it takes you. <laughs> so you like this from a strategic standpoint. I like, I like the idea that you can use this to be a positive thing. Where the other three we've covered so far, there's not a lot of upside to it. That's true. Yeah, it does sound more like the negative conditions where this can be more protective. It could also be very negative, but you got to look for the positivity and things, Well, because right? how many times have you had somebody petrified in a game in stone and all you really wanted to do was smash it? Oh, every time. Every time. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, we normally just leave them behind and keep going. Yeah, turn like, into uh, petrified wood, yeah. light them on fire. Just, yeah. it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that interests me is the fact that it's non-magical items, right? Get turned to stone or petrified wood or whatever with you, which means that your magic items are still there. Yeah. I'm thinking sort of the stone style, like... You walk into the crypt and you see the statue holding the sword above his head in a heroic pose. And no, that's actually a dude who is aware and you're breaking those fingers off to get that stone. And that dude is alive still. Right? This is this feels plot hookish to me, this right? This is getting very dark. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you need the amputation feature. There right? we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Megan, how, how do you feel about this? Um, I'm neutral to it. I just feel like Again, I feel like it's a it's a almost like a game ending. Like you used it in the end of one of your games. <laughs> I did. I turned everyone to stone, to and stone. then the next campaign was go rescue them. Exactly yeah. right. So it's a way of like freezing things in time, which I think can be used to everybody's advantage. Is just if you want a character to live forever, petrify them into a statue. If you want, like, uh, to your point, if someone's sick and dying, petrify them. You've got time. We didn't think to do this with the goddamn bird that was sick in our campaign, which I'm now thinking <laughs> in my head. So just petrified him. Uh, yeah, the eight-year-old Kenku child that what, that got a blood plague, and so you guys just gave him to Hags. He'll be fine. Well, the paladin and the wizard tried to combine their spells to find a way to keep him alive, when really we should have just petrified him. So yep. <laughs> it can be used for a lot of really good, neat things, and I think to your point, in more of a creative stance. So I think out of all of them, it's more... 
it can go either way. So I enjoy it a little bit. It's easier to swallow, shall we say. I I really like the idea, too, of there being, like, rickety bridges and stuff and something that's doing this petrification. And the people turn to stone and then the planks will break out from underneath them and down they go because they their weight it increases by a factor of 10. Yeah. That's intense. That's amazing. I love using that as a plot point. I love using that as the entire party is coming across a bridge at, at you and you just turn them all to stone systematically, kick them off the bridge. Yeah. And walk away. And then you can just fast forward six years later, somebody hauls these statues out. A fisherman found you. And then someone in the the local healer, the shaman, whatever, comes and pulls you out and and turns you back to flesh. Yeah. And look how the world has changed. Well, would you, because you were talking about hypothermia and stuff and being in the mountains, would you use this as if your body was to be frozen? Or what would you, do you think that fits? It could. I don't know. Frozen is dead to me. This is yeah. not technically dead. Fro- frozen to me, you're not aware. That's the other thing that creeps me out is you're stuck inside your own brain. Yeah. Right? Like, you think about how isolation is used in prisons as a major deterrent for people to just be alone. And at least then you can still distribute literature and feed the birds. Like, you still have your body. You can still move. You can still, like, do push-ups and and run laps of your cell or sing or whatever. You can't do that here. You are stuck in darkness and you are immobile. That's got to be hell. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be stuck in my own mind. That's, that's nobody a, wants to be anywhere near your mind. That Dave. is a scary place. All right, so let's grab dice and say, what do you do when this happens to your your character as a player? How do you keep yourself engaged? Oh, I got an at twenty. I got a one. <laughs> oh, I got a sixteen. Um, for me, uh, how do I get engaged with this? I am going to straight up do the exact same thing I was doing before about my inner monologue about. I remember this, only it's going to be haunting. Hello? <laughs> Hello? I'm, I'm, I, first of all, I'm going to role play turning to stone, too, just to scare the shit out of everybody else at the oh, table. Of <laughs> and then, And then just have this, this empty loneliness. You start calling out to the, like, the other team members on the team. You're like, yeah. I'm here, I swear I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to have that horrifying moment just to make everybody's... I'm going to try to make everybody's blood run a little cold. Yeah. So that... It is a big deal to turn me back. Dave says, you guys just abandoned the people turned to stone, hey? Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> Which is brutal. It's just a condition effect. That shit can get healed. Yeah, but normally when it happens, we're of a low enough level that it's not going to happen anytime soon. And, I mean, we got stuff to do. We're only, like, halfway through the dungeon. So if you just... are... Oops. <laughs> <laughs> That's cold. This is this is your 3.5 yeah, show. stone cold. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, would you be able to cast <laughs> message in this? Um, how does message work? That's a great idea. Weird. Because it's all it's all mental, right? So if you are cognitive, you aware, cannot cast it because you need an action to be able to mm, cast it. And I think I remember if if we do end up looking it up, I think you have to be able to move your mouth. I think that it's actually one of the things in cast messages that you actually move your mouth to the words. I remember that coming up in one of our games because we were talking in message for hours and hours and hours, and then suddenly we realized that the boss could see us like mouthing words to each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so here's how it breaks down. You point your finger towards a creature within range and whisper a message. Uh, so the other person is the target, and only the target hears the message and can reply in a whisper that only you can hear. Because you can't whisper, you can't reply. Yes. However, you could you could get messages, right? 
as as the diviner in the party, I could sit there and say, "It's okay, we're coming for you. It's all right. Calm down." Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm gonna have to use my action to do it, but I'm probably not gonna try to heal until we're out of combat anyway. Yeah. Or like, hey, so uh, try to get some rest because we need. Uh, whichever other class it is to get a long rest, we need to chill out for eight hours so we can select the spell and prep it and, and get, get it this ready. Person right. healed, yeah. yeah, so so that kind of thing. So we're gonna put you on a cart and send you back to town. Opposite of Dave. Dave's like, "Fuck it, we leave him behind." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. These, these are the two different kinds of players at the table. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I'm gonna do if I'm petrified is I am going to grab four d six. Uh, and I'm going to roll them six times. The lowest one. Yeah, I'm going to go over to the printer, get a new sheet, and uh, start looking through the player sample to figure out what I want to do next. If my guys come back to me, great. But I, uh, I'm very little hope that that will happen. Oh man, I, I my my response was literally I would I would start writing up my will and testament of where I want my items to go, who gets them, and start writing my goodbye letters. Do you do that, Dave? I always do will and testaments. Never. All right, well, we will get to that in one of the future episodes when we're talking about death. We actually covered that in our character death we episode. We did talk about character death, yeah. yeah. but we're going to be dealing with the mechanics of death uh, in a future Conditions episode. So yeah. everybody wait for, I don't know, roughly 14 more episodes for that one. Um, <laughs> the, the, there's a schedule. Let's chill out for a sec and go to another break before I hit you guys with uh, something you're not expecting. Oh. Great. I've got... Some crazy questions for you. Oh, good. You better. Well, let me throw my notes out the window. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Adam. And I'm going to use the opportunity right now to give a shout out to probably our most prolific YouTube commenter at this point, who is Casimir Lawnicki. I hope that I pronounced that right. Casimir, thank you very much for all of the many, many, many comments and likes and thanks to everyone else who's listening on YouTube that's pumping up our numbers over there. We're really hoping to expand everything that we are doing here uh, into other platforms and our YouTube has been kind of shitty and lacking. So a big shout out to James. Thank you so much again for the hundredth time for helping us get some uh, visualization so we can make some of these videos to be able to get the stuff from the backlog that was missed on the upload due to technical difficulties. We've really started to fill it all in now, and I think almost everything is up online on YouTube. There might be, I think, maybe a Paladins and a Ranger episode that's missing, but I think pretty much everything else is already up there. So, and those are coming. So anyway, thanks to everyone who's on YouTube who's doing so much for the podcast, but especially Casimir Lanicki, who is really just knocking it out of the park with all of the comments and the support that we're feeling from you is inspiring. It's keeping us going. And because there's so much additional work that goes into getting it onto YouTube and not just sent out through Podbean and our regular sources, it's a big deal for us to get this kind of positive feedback and get the love there that gets us the likes and the attention and whatnot that we're so desperate to have so that we can continue to push the podcast out to other people. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone on YouTube, especially Casimir. And again, I hope I'm saying that right. And uh, if you guys are at all interested in going over and supporting us and checking us out there, the YouTube comments are not toxic yet. We all know they will be because it's YouTube. But as it stands right now, 
That and our presence on Reddit have really blown up over the last couple of months. And so we're really excited about that. And we're, we're always looking for more interaction with you guys. If you have any sort of mailbag question, head over to the subreddit at r slash it's a mimic. There is in fact a thread on there for you to be able to go and submit your mailbag questions were already almost completely loaded up for the next round. So go in there and get your questions in quickly. Additionally, uh, head over to YouTube and check out, we've got all of our playlists set up. So if you wanna go back and hear all the stuff we've done on all the lore episodes or the breakdowns of monsters, and you don't wanna to have to scroll and scroll and scroll, YouTube is really a great place to do that. And of course we have the episode guide that's up there in a sticky on Reddit as well. So thanks to, again to everyone for listening and for supporting us. And remember to go check out that donate button on the website as well. All right, let's get back to the episode. So we've gone through incapacitated, stunned, paralyzed, and petrified. I kind of want to wrap this episode up by going through some of the monsters that get it. I'm going to give you guys the CR and the way that it works. And you tell me, is this overpowered for this level? Okay. Is this too dangerous? And how would you use this ability against a party? So let's start with incapacitated, I guess. I've got a couple. Okay. So the first one is your harpy, CR1. The harpy gets a luring song. The harpy sings a magical melody. Every humanoid and giant, specifically, which is really odd, within 300 feet of the harpy that can hear the song must succeed on a DC 11 wisdom save or be charmed until the song ends. The harpy must take a bonus action on its subsequent turn to continue singing. It can stop singing at any time. The song ends if the harpy is incapacitated. While charmed by the harpy, a target is incapacitated and ignores the songs of other harpies. If the charm target is more than five feet away from the harpy, the target can take the dash action on its turn to move toward the harpy by the most direct route. It does not avoid opportunity attacks, but before moving into damaged terrain, uh, such as lava or a pit, and whenever it takes damage from a source other than the harpy, a target can repeat the saving throw. Okay, so a creature can also repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns. Once you succeed on it, you're successful for the next 24 hours. So the idea here is that when you hear this within 300 feet, a DC 11 wisdom save makes you incapacitated. And the only thing you can do is walk toward the harpy, ignoring dangers. No, that's CR1 for me. Yeah, it yeah. Seems, seems like, and it's a very small save. Yeah, it's a reasonable save. Uh, you get to re-roll it on every one of your turns. It, so if you're 300 feet away, you have many, many opportunities to get out of it. And then you're out of it for 24 hours and you know what it is. So I would say the probability of it actually causing you pain and suffering is very low. So that... Yeah, yeah the other thing I think is that if you're going to go f fight a harpy, potentially you're going to... Someone has told you that it's there and you're going to go find it. And you could do things to prepare yourself to fight this. So you could like... You're not really getting hit out of the blue by one of these. Things. No, you, no, you can shove stuff in your ears to give you maybe advantage to not. Yeah, because I think we we came across it, a harpy right? like once, and I think our, a harpy esque. It was like the sirens song singers, yeah. like the, the water, because it was yeah. a boat oriented yes. game. So it just made sense that you, if you're on a ship, you know that you might come across a mermaid or something that has an ability like this. And again, that 300 feet and every round you get to attempt to get out of it, even if you do roll shitty once you're probably going to get out of it eventually. My big thing about this is a CR1. I like it, sure, it's fine. I'm with you guys. 
DC 11 wisdom save means that everybody has a decent chance of getting hit by this. Yeah. But you're probably moving 30 feet around or 25, so like even less. So it's at 10 to 12 rounds. You're going to save on this eventually. And then you're immune to it. That's fine. I like this better when the harpies don't start singing until they're 60 feet away and there's eight of them. Yeah, just because it's 300 feet doesn't mean they have to start at 300 feet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so it becomes way scarier for a level four or five party to run into eight of these guys. And remember, just doubling it doesn't necessarily make it an equal CR rating. Yeah. You do have to watch the action economy there. So I do find that eight CR one versus level five, level six party, somewhere around there, it's about even. It's Someone's going to get trapped, yeah. Yeah, you, you're, you're in some sketchy territory, but you're, only one of you will drop to unconsciousness and no one will die. Yeah. So, so. if all eight of them sing the same song to try... You have to, to save on every, every single, single one, one of them. Yeah. And the moment that you're hit by one of them, you ignore the others and you, you get drawn that toward that one. However, when you save... You are immune to that harpy's song only. Not the so others. you have to do the other seven. So this is going to drag your players around the map over and over and over again. This sounds like almost an effort and frustration, but they're saving all the time and they're checking off which ones that they've hit before, right? I think this is an interesting way of running a very different kind of. It's a different encounter. kind of combat, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, you're right. Like that is very different. But as a player and as a DM, that kind of combat would just frustrate the hell out of me. Would it? Oh yeah, big time. Because you're not able to do all. You're, much you're just doing the same thing, you know, five yeah, rounds of that. The team is doing you've the done same it thing. forty times. Like, oh come on, and what happens if you're successful on every single one of them? What if everybody fails? Like that's potentially really hazardous, <laughs> you know. And like, I try not to put my characters. Well, this is how I capture my characters, right? And besides, a silent spell is all it takes to get through this, which is level two. They've got access to it by that point. Fair. Right there, like you, like you said, there are ways around this, and it's not like you are going to come across these things by accident. I mean, it can happen, especially in a in a boating campaign. Seafaring yeah. campaign. However, for the most part, you know that they call this the Singing Hills for a reason, or whatever. Right? Yeah. Okay, so my next one is uh, CR two, and this is the Myconid Sovereign. Are you guys familiar with Myconids? No. These are little mushroom people that live in the underdark and underground and whatnot. Um, you, have you seen Fantasia with all the dancing mushrooms? Yeah. Yeah, that. The Sovereign is their leader. They essentially have a kind of a hive mind, and they're all about spores and releasing spores out into the world, mm. including hallucination spores. The Myconid injects spores at one creature it can see within five feet of it. The target must succeed on a DC-12 constitution save or be poisoned for one minute. The poison target is incapacitated while it hallucinates. The target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself on a success. Some Wizard of Odds poppy field shit right here. (laughs) So again, here's the mechanics. Within five feet, for a CR2, you have a DC 12 constitution save, and you can be poisoned for one minute by this. But you get to save at the end of every round. Does this feel right to you for a CR2? Seems a little weak, honestly. Well, the idea is that you're not going to run into one of these guys. You're going to run into this guy and a bunch of other Others. little Mykonid minions. Yeah, too. but it's all within five feet. Like, that still seems... Yeah, it seems like you, you're you in combat. This feels almost defensive more than anything else. Yeah, like, it, they don't want you in the field. They're just like, get out. Like, it's, they're not really trying to kill you. They're just trying to... 
they're not evil. They're lawful neutral, yeah. right? Like they're they're they, plants that don't want you in their fields. Hey, they're not just plants. They're fun guys. Stop it! Stop! Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> I think you're so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's it's about on par as a week, Dave? A little bit, yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of the same as the harpies, though. It depends on how large the field is and how many of them there are and how stuck your party is and were they dropped in the middle of it or did they walk at the edge of it, right? So yeah. I think there's a lot of factors that you could scale it as a DM to make it a little bit more balanced. But if you were to literally walk to the edge of a field, notice that this is what it is, it does seem a little weak because you've been hit by it once, you're done with it, you realize there's a field and you figure out how to get around it, right? But if you literally dropped your party into the middle of this, Mm-hmm. Like somehow they were on the back of a dragon, the, the birds flew them across a field and dropped them in the middle of this forest, and now you have to navigate through it. That would be a little bit of a different story. Especially when there's five or six of these things walking around. I mean, I know it's supposed to be the leader, but I have no problem having these be my chiefs. Yeah. And there's a bunch of them, and so you're just you're walking through, and every once in a while you fail a save, and you're just like, oh, shit, I can taste purple. Yeah. I like the idea that there's hallucinations that come with this too. As a dungeon master, throw insanity saves to that, and it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> um, all right, the next one. We're gonna move over to stunned. Okay. CR two though, the intellect devourer. You guys are familiar with these guys? Oh yeah. 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 yeah I think I've thrown them at both of you. Uh, I think you've, yeah. I've experienced this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> little brains, little quadruped brains. Uh, the intellect devourer targets one creature it can see within ten feet of it that has a brain. The target must succeed on a DC-12 intelligence saving throw against the magic, or take 2d10 psychic damage. Also on a failure, roll 3d6. If the total equals or exceeds the target's intelligence score, that score is reduced to zero. The target is stunned until it regains at least one point of intelligence. How does this feel for a CR2? So I had good experience fighting these things, I just kind of walked through them. Yeah. I didn't have any trouble with them at all. However, I realized that that was very much the exception and not the norm. Yes. Yes. You. That was not my experience. Yeah. No, I, 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 I got someone else in the party had a bad time with it. But I mean, I didn't. I straight so... up killed a, a player. Well, well, yeah. 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 Uh, that seems not very... the character. A player. Yeah. <laughs> not on. No, right. No, yeah, yeah. Not on Mike. <laughs> uh, um... How do you feel about this, Dave? Is this too powerful? I I think it could be. That is really 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 debilitating yes i for cr2 and being like what level you would be at that process like it it would be incapacitating like you would it sucks 2d10 plus 3d6 no no, no. 2d10 psychic damage you roll a 3d6 to compare it against the intelligence okay. of the creature yeah and then if the intellect devourer's 3d6 is higher than the creature's intelligence score then their intelligence just drops to zero and they're stunned until they get intelligence back. You essentially sap the brain power from them. Mm-hmm. The really shitty thing is on the next round, they get to force another save and then jump into the player's body. Yes, which is what happened in our group. Was yeah. We got controlled and that was the end of that chapter. I think I killed two characters when I did it with you, Megan. And yeah, one two of us. Was, yeah. And one was controlled. And so... you guys were level five plus, right? Yeah. I think, no, I think we started that. I think that was level seven, seven or eight. Yeah. yeah. And Dave, you guys were level eight, I think, at yeah. that point. Yeah. So, and this was CR2. Now, I am dropping multiple of these guys at a time, but that's a lot of saves. Yeah. That you got to make or you're, you're screwed. Does stunned, is stunned too much here? 
Like, if this has been incapacitated, you at least could have run? You could have at least run, and you could have, stri- stri- like, made a little bit more strategy to it. Stun just makes it so, like, you literally just have to sit there and inner monologue while this happens to you. So, yeah. Well, I, you could you could still kind of drool and speak flatteringly. Yeah, flattering. <laughs> <laughs> I look really lovely today. I am so smart. <laughs> of the wrinkliest brain. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> um, Dave, does this feel too powerful? Yes, for CR two. Yes, uh, even you know a wizard at second level two d ten psychic damage can just kill it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. that there is that anybody with a high intelligence modifier does not have a high constitution modifier, doesn't have the hit points for this. Right, and, and I mean, even if it doesn't get it on the first round, it will on the next round. And yeah. then it will you take know? over them like a like heartbeat. And if you and for that, if their intelligence was then sapped, you're useless. So pretty deadly. The stunned condition there is a good example of how you can really fuck over a player. Well, the other thing is with the intellect devourers is once they take over that player, now you have a player that can fight the other players, and that's just... It's my favorite thing to do as a player, by the way. Yeah. I've done it multiple times in Adam's campaign, and it's my favorite. Oh. <laughs> is it always against Dan? It's usually Dan. I think it was once against Terry. Um, I will never... I would No, that's not true. I did hit Casey. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I have, to, I have to send a text I message to apologize. Yeah. Murdered her. <laughs> yes, you did. Okay. But yeah, like and honestly I find that that dynamic can be fun if you have the right players when it yeah. comes to these kinds of things. Because if they enjoy that or if they can see the comedy and character and story building process behind it, it can be okay. But if you're gonna drop these on a bunch of new players that have no desire to play against each other. PvP was not agreed upon in Zero. These are not the big bads to use in any way, shape, or form. All right, so let's talk about someone that is a little bit close to a big bad. Let's go to the Mind Flayer. They've got Tentacles. It's a melee weapon attack, plus 7 to hit, 5 foot reach, so on and so forth. 2d10 plus 4 psychic damage. If the target is medium or smaller, it is grappled. The escape is a DC 15. Megan, you're loving this already. (laughs) They must succeed on a DC 15 intelligence saving throw or be stunned until the grapple ends. Keeping in mind that the next thing that they have here is extract brain, where they just straight up eat your fucking brain. So when they reduce you to zero hit points, but that stuns you. And remember, you're stunned until the grapple ends. No, you don't get more saves. Yeah, you can't save it. No. It's just it's when it ends, you get it. Yeah, that, those tentacles are wrapped around your face so someone comes by and There's no strength you. save to do it because you fail strength saves. There's no... Well, you, you, have, a, you have an escape DC of 15. Okay. Um, but that's your turn. Yeah. Right? To, to escape. That's, that's a bit much. How do we feel about this for a CR7? I feel like there are a lot of abilities at CR7 that you would have as a team to stop or get out or... Like, you, if you were one character facing this by yourself, you're fucked. But if you have a team of people that I see this occurring, there are things that I think at this level they can do to get you out. There are enough people with Misty Step that can get away? Yeah, Dimension Doors, all that kind of stuff, right? Like, there's enough things out there that if your team strategizes appropriately, that it, it, it's workable, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Like, 15 is can be high, but... I mean, if you're all working together, it should be manageable. Yeah, yeah, especially if you have someone that can buff you, like a bard or the paladin aura or something as well. Exactly. And uh, I mean, well, you're still mid tier two, so you're not going to have anything with super buffy, but you're going to have something. This is the stuff that I save my inspiration dice for. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if, if you hand out inspiration dice like we do at tables, it, it's for saves like that. 
Yeah. Or for giving advantage for being creative with your exit strategy. Yeah. So like, okay, describe it to me. And they give you this long ass, this is how I'm going to bust this tentacle off me. Then give them advantage on their role. Sure. Right? Yeah. So. All right. The next one for stun, the last one for stun before we move on is going to be the Mummy Lord. CR 15. One of their legendary actions. So it costs two actions. They're doing this after other people's turns. Mm. Mummy Lord utters a blasphemous word. Each non-undead creature within 10 feet of the Mummy Lord that can hear the magical utterance must succeed on a DC 16 con save or be stunned until the end of the Mummy Lord's next turn. So you miss a round because it's the end of his next turn. Yeah. Yeah. And he does this not on his own turn. And it's got within 10 feet, so 10 foot radius. What's the CR on it, sorry? 15. How do you feel about this? I think it's a little weak. You think so? Yeah, I think 10 feet's not that big. You're only going to be affected. If you're level 15, your wizards, your rogues, your rangers... Are staying 300 feet away. Yeah, right? The only people that are going to be up there are fighters and barbarians and paladins. And, I mean, barbarians have constitution. And paladins will have their saves. Right? So, like, yeah, you are vulnerable to it. Uh, A CR 16, was it? 15. 15, like that's... It's the end of tier 3. That's high, but... No, the save. What's the save? Oh, the save is DC 16. Yeah, so if the save... Like, that's high, but that's... Again, it's still manageable. That's doable at that point. You're a proficiency modifier. If if you're proficient in a con save, you're kind of laughing at this. Even sorcerers are laughing at this. The, The saving grace to it is it doesn't happen on its turn. If I was DMing and playing a mummy lord... That's pretty underpowered for me to waste an action on. Yeah. I'm not going to waste my round doing that. Yeah. But I would try it because I can. Throw flavor. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, like it's, I think it's fairly well balanced, but probably a little underpowered. I like this because it's my anti-monk move, mm. right? Because I can wade in, and before the monk gets to go, let's say the barbarian goes first, then I'm going to get this off and stun the monk because it's a DC 16 con save. They probably don't have that. True. Unless they're standing beside a paladin. Unless, yeah, okay, that's fair. Or they pound their inspiration into it. Like, there's, there are ways to overcome this. I've decided, by the way, to never hand out inspiration dice again. Just now? No, I, I made the decision after the last, after the last campaign. We wrapped up and I'm sitting there going, you guys made some impossible roles to the point where I had to make such incredibly difficult bad guys to fight. Yep. And you were going toe-to-toe with gods at the end, which you should be doing, but there was no fear. Yeah. Well, I think that the thing that screwed you over at the beginning was I didn't use any of my inspiration dice for the first year we played that campaign. Good I Lord. literally had, I think, like 13 d20s worth of... Yeah, at the end. So when you started to not give them out anymore yeah. was when I started actually using them. Yeah. And that was when we were at, like... Level 15, 16. Oh, but in our session zero, we put limits on that. Like, you're only allowed to have X amount, and you're only allowed to use this many on this turn, and if you're using it for this reason, you can only use this. And Yeah. Like, we we set out some... Some ground rules? Yeah, just because it gets out of hand Yeah, the only thing I ever said was not on death saves. Yep. That was it. Stack as many as you want. Be a hero. Oh, no, I think... Hey, man. I was a hero. I think ours is a maximum of three, maybe four. And you can only use it on attacks and saves. Yeah. Uh, saving throws, not death saves or anything yeah. like that. All right, let's 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 jump into Paralyzed really quickly. The Carrion Crawler, CR2. Again, we're back down here. Mm-hmm. There's another tentacle thing for CR2 plus H2 hit. And it reaches 10 feet, which is unusual for 5th edition. Uh, you're getting 1d4 plus 2 poison damage. Target must succeed on a DC 13 constitution save. Or be poisoned for one minute until the poison ends. The target is paralyzed. 
you can repeat your saving throw at the end of your turn. Which means you will lose, you will definitely lose your turn. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. No, and I think it's also a good tactic to strike fear into your fighters and your ones that want to get up in other people's business. It almost teaches them a lesson. Yeah, the fighter that just cleared out seven goblins, humble them a little. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So CR2, a DC 13 con. I, I think that's reasonable, though, at that level, to be able to get, a, like, especially if you're a fighter or something like that that's going to be within that 10 feet, you're going to have that ability to get that safe. It's not like you're a wizard up in that business that can't, right? Yeah. I think it's balanced. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, the only thing that makes me kind of raise an eyebrow is the plus eight to hit. Well, that yeah. just means that it's definitely going to hit and inflict this, but with only 1d4 plus two? Yeah. Yeah, that's not the end of the world. Um, next up we have a young silver dragon. I could have chosen anyone, but I went with young. Uh, CR9, they get paralyzing breath. The dragon exhales paralyzing gas in a 30-foot cone. Each creature in that area must succeed on a DC 17 constitution save or be paralyzed for one minute. Again, you get to save at the end of your turn. <laughs> I, I was on the silver dragons episode, so I was like, I, I really like this. Yeah. Just in the sense that, like, you have to understand why he does what he does. Like, he does it so that he can talk to you. Yeah. Like, it's not he's going to paralyze you to kill you. It would be frustrating as a player because you're paralyzed or what have you. But the whole concept is to expedite the storyline and communicate and talk. Right? Yeah. So, I, I think if for the character, it's awesome. If this was to be given to someone that specifically wants to hurt and kill you, mm-hmm. I would think that it's broken. But, or tough. But then again, you're fighting dragon. Let's be real here. Yeah, no, I agree. That's That seems on point like it does you read that article that's that's a lot but if it is just a mechanic to further a storyline or to stop and have a conversation these are lawful good and if you listen to our silver dragons episode you're going to hear dan wax poetic about how silver dragons would never do anything to hurt anyone ever dan is the silver dragon of the dragon world that's what i've decided yeah and not just because he's going gray no but that's part of it Actually, I was going to say Silver Dragons don't have hair, but they got badass mohawks. They do. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and let's uh, head over to Petrified. These are my favorite things. I am a fan of these these creatures. First and foremost, the cockatrice. You can laugh if you'd like. Aha. Uh-huh. Thank you. Heart. Uh, <laughs> challenge rating, one half. Plus three to hit. Reaches five feet. It, it bites you, essentially. It's 1d4 plus one piercing damage. Target must save on a DC 11 con save. Against being magically petrified. On a failed save, the creature begins to turn to stone and is restrained. It must repeat the saving throw at the end of its next turn. On a success, the effect ends, but on a failure, the creature is petrified for 24 hours. How do you feel about this? I think it's enough to give a low-level party a scare. I really like it. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, like, I like dropping like 10 of these motherfuckers and just sending them out into the world to see what happens. I just can't like imagine any campaign where you would actually come across one of these naturally, other than a DM just being like, "Here's a thing that I just want to scare the shit of it, scare <laughs> you shitless for a minute." Because if you're a player that like like for me, there are monsters in this world I've never heard of. I don't know what they are. Yeah. So when I come across them, and Dan's like, "I know what this is," I'm like, "Shut your fucking face," because I want to. I want the mystery behind yeah. it. You have no idea that 24 hours later you're gonna be fine. No, no, you just you're it's... you're gonna be all panicked. Your paladin's gonna be like, I have to figure out how to fucking fix this. I don't. I, like... <laughs> That's my favorite part. My guys would just leave this guy alone, and then 24 my, hours. the player would roll up a new character, and I'd let him, and they'd play, and then they run back into the guy in town like a week later, and he's like. What the fuck, Where the guys? Fuck did you guys yeah. know? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> All right, let's throw down. Right now, you've you created a bad guy. Yeah. 
So, like, I feel like it's adorable in the sense that, like, it's easy enough to kill, like, whatever, the, like, oh, the, right? the cockatrice? Yeah. Yeah. It's no, like, they're, yeah. They, they've got 27 hit points and their AC is 11. Yeah, one hit kill, basically, if you're getting in there. But I think it's enough that you, it's almost like that vampire bite of, like, oh, shit. Am I, is this, am I going to die? Like, what is it? Like, it yeah, the enough. first time that you get bitten by a vampire in D&D, it's terrifying. Yeah. And you realize that. Oh, I just, I, I lost six hit points. Yeah, I and I can fix this, Yeah, right? But the, a learning party, it's their first time out, they wouldn't know that that's fixable. They would just panic, right? Yeah. So I think that as a DM, it would be delightful to watch. <laughs> okay, well, try this on for size then. Petrifying breath for a Gorgon. This is CR5. The Gorgon exhales petrifying gas in a 30-foot cone. Each creature in that area must succeed on a DC 13 constitution save. On a failed save, the target begins to turn to stone and is restrained. The restrained target must repeat the saving throw at the end of its next turn. On a success, it ends. On a failure, you're petrified until freed by the Greater Restoration spell or other magic. Greater Restoration is a fifth level spell. Yes. Which for like, I know for, for a fact, paladins, they wouldn't get into like level 15. Yeah. So if you don't have... You need a cleric in the you party. You need a cleric in the party to fix this. Or find one. Yeah. Yeah. How do we, how do we feel about this? So CR5... DC 13 con save, but you have to do it twice. Yeah, I think the fact that it's a double save, you're kind of screwed. Like, it's going to happen. You think so? I think so. Unless you have, again, like if you have a pallet in the party, so your saves are buffed or something like that happens. And at that level, you would have that. But I think that there's too many stars that would have to align for this to stop it from happening, that the probability is too high. Especially because you can hit multiple people at once. Yeah. 30 foot cone. Dave, how do you feel? I like this for trying to teach the party a lesson. <laughs> I like how that's, that's the theme of today's episode, is yeah. let's teach people a lesson about... Well, and, but that's the thing, is because we're stealing agency away, this does feel like a punishment. It does, yeah. Right? And yes, but it doesn't have to be. You could use this as a mechanic to petrify the players, and then the, the big bad evil guy is a cleric, and he unfreezes them one by one, and has that little monologue and sets up some more story and you know they end up coming out of it just fine he just walks up and takes all their shit because it's magical items that he just like walks up he just waltzes in and takes it all yeah right it, like it doesn't have to be you can utilize these characters yeah. to drive a story exactly right these it, abilities right it doesn't have to be a bad thing it can yeah work because that's what you did adam you froze the original party of one of their longest campaigns and then we did a campaign to go and save them yep. right so it can be used to your advantage. All right. Petrifying gaze for a Medusa. CR6. Mm. Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> when a creature that can see the Medusa's eyes starts its turn within 30 feet of the Medusa, the Medusa can force it to make a DC 14 con save. As long as the Medusa is not uh, incapacitated and it can see the creature. If the saving throw fails by five or more, the creature is instantly petrified. Otherwise, a creature that fails a save begins to turn to stone and is restrained. The restrained creature must repeat the saving throw at the end of its next turn, becoming petrified on a failure or ending the effect on a success. Again, you need greater restoration or other magic. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here about averting your eyes and the Medusa seeing itself and so on and so forth, but that's the general basic rule here. We're dealing with a DC 14 constitution. Anyone within 30 feet that can... See the Medusa, CR6. And if you fail by more than five on a DC 14, so if you end up with nine or lower, you're fuckered. Instant petrification. I think this is when you get those glasses that have the eyes on the lenses. 
So you can't see through them. And you send the paladin in with those, and then everybody sits back with crossbows 60 feet away. Yeah, but the point is, I feel like if you're going to come up against a Medusa, you know you're coming up against a Medusa. You don't just walk up. Well, it's it's funny because I know in my last campaign, they did not know they were coming up against a Medusa. Hard stop. They just straight up did not fucking know that. Which was loads of fun. Yes. So then, yes, that's fuckery and dickishness, and that would suck. But if you knew that you were going into a lair because you want to get Medusa's eye or do something like that, like it's a part of the storyline, you know you're going to be battling one, it's easy to find ways to get around it. Yeah. But if you were going to be surprised by one of these, then yes, your team is pretty much effed. That that hurts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dave, is this too much for CR6? No. No? No, because you're going to have spells that you can use to hit this. You'll have spells to slow it down. You, you'll, you'll have, have the bar to buff your saves. You'll have, yeah... Yeah, it'll it'll be hard for a fighter to get through, hard for maybe a monk to get through, but everything else should be able to have something that can hit it from a distance and slow it down. Yeah, yeah, because thirty feet technically, if you're your wizard, your sorcerer, you're going to be more than thirty feet away, anyways. Yeah, there are ways. All right, so last one, we cannot have a conversation about this without talking about the beholder. <laughs> that bitch. Cr thirteen. Now, you do roll D d10 to figure out which rays are being used, right? So it is randomized. But on a 2, it's Paralyzing Ray, which is DC 16 con save. And on an 8, it's a Petrification Ray, which is a DC 16 dex save. Again, it requires Restoration Magic to get past the Petrification, and you can repeat your save on every uh, consecutive roll for the Paralyzed. For Paralyzed, you can save. Yeah, you can save at the end of your turn over and over again. The Petrification one, you... The Petrification one, uh, you begin to turn to stone, you're restrained, you repeat it at the end of your turn, so it's the same basic thing. You can save it. Yeah. So I think that's what balances it, is the fact that it can be saved. CR 13, DC 16 for con or dex. How do you feel? I mean, as a rule, you you don't mess around with the beholders. You just leave. True. But to a party or unknown, benounced to them, who've never been up against a beholder before, it's their first time... They wouldn't know to run away. It's a learning experience. Yeah. But, like, I mean, the probability of rolling one of those out of the ten other, like, ten possibilities. I don't really know what the other possibilities are at this point. But... Well, the other ones off the top of my head... Well, I'm looking at not top of my head. Yeah. The other ones are Charm Ray, Fear Ray, Slowing Ray. Yeah. Enervation Ray, which is essentially uh, necrotic damage. It's 88 necrotic. Yeah. Telekinetic Ray, which throws you... Sleep Ray, which makes you unconscious. Disintegration Ray, which is 10d8. Good times. Force. And Death Ray, which is 10d10 necrotic. Mm, too close and remember, <laughs> you get to do three of these rays at a time. Yeah. And you get a legendary action where you get to use another ray three times at the end of other creatures' turns. So you're getting six rays off every round. Yeah, don't fight it. Just run away. Is this too <laughs> overpowered for a CR 13? I want to say that at that level, you should, as a party, have the ability to buff each other, help each other, and figure it out, and plan it accordingly. But I think rules is written. If you see a beholder, just turn and run away, because it is very difficult to deal with. Very difficult. No matter what ray you get hit by, it sucks. (laughs) We've got a couple of episodes coming up on beholders, so we're going to go through them all and dig into it, but first opinions... Too much? It, it, it would also be like the most frustrating battle on the planet. Like, Have you ever fought a Beholder, Megan? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a death tyrant. I know you've done that. I mean a straight Beholder. No. Okay. But like in my mind, I'm like, no matter what ray you get hit by, you are 
dealing with a debilitating, if you don't save, you're dealing with being stuck on your next turn, having to roll saves. Like, it would just be so frustrating and annoying mm-hmm. having to deal with one of these things. So, like, CR 13, as much as I want the party to be buffed enough that this would not be annoying and overpowered, it probably will be. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it will probably be too much. Okay, so what, what CR would you put this at? 15, 16? Yeah, it's t- tier 4. Yeah. Keeping in mind as well that these guys get layer actions. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're probably going to lose a player or two fighting one of these. And it might just simply be because of the paralyze or petrification. Or Because you're, you're taking people <laughs> off. Well, they can still heal when they get hit by that yeah. stuff. It's taking players out of the game. You're changing the action economy so much with these. And that's the other thing that we didn't really talk about is, sure, it's cute with the cockatrice, you know, or the, to, to petrify for 24 hours, or it's it's fun with the Mummy Lord to stun someone for one round and it may or may not get off. But you have just dropped what the party can do by 25%, 20%, somewhere in that range for most parties. And put them in front of something that where its goal is to kill you. Yeah, so, like, it's it's deadly, right? Like, these things... Not only are we taking away agency from a player, we're hurting the whole party and their ability to be effective, and we're setting them up for real failure. Yeah. With these with these condition effects, more so than blinded or frightened or grappled. Yeah. So, final thoughts before we wrap this episode up. I think that this whole section should be kind of what, like what we talked about earlier about how it should just be in, instead of like five different conditions, it's stunned. And, and different levels. I think that would make it more simplified, kind of like exhaustion. Yeah. Right? Like, you're incapacitated, but at what level? Are you stunned? Are you what have you? I think yeah. that would be a better way to break it down. Yeah, I, I did agree with you, but now that we've kind of gone through some of the creatures, I like how... I guess you could just substitute it with you take the third level of stunned. Yeah. yeah. But I like how there's Flavor the different... Wise. Yeah, the, you know, it, it is... It's, it is the same, but it's different. Uh, yeah, I like that there's one specific condition that each one of the monsters has. I like the idea of the table for monks, specifically, right? For players gaining the ability to do stuff. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to monsters, no, I just want the... I just want the harpy to be able to do this one thing. I don't need it to stack levels, right? Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I I really, really enjoy using this stuff in games, but I will tell you, I don't use it on beginner groups, and I usually telegraph that this shit is going to happen ahead of time. If you're going to go fight a Medusa, you see some real lifelike statues beforehand mm-hmm. on the way in, right? You will see that that this Gorgon, this this metal bull, is surrounded by a handful of birds that are just stone that are lying on the ground like it it just wiped out some some random animals yeah right you can see when you when you go up against a carrion crawler you can see that there's somebody that is half digested and still alive staring at you going right but with new players i'm not using conditions in general except for maybe grappled yeah as a general rule you're right i i wouldn't do that either right like just get them into the game get them let them learn what stuff is first, and then once you get the experience, that's when you start, you know, attacking the conditions, right? That's yeah. when you start really hitting them with it. Yeah. yeah, and and I feel like, I really feel like these are tier two and tier three conditions as a general rule. I liked a lot of the stuff with CR two. It was low. Yeah. 
right? But if I'm really going to start to mess with this on a regular basis, you're right. I want players that have got some experience. They're going to be able to have some abilities and work together and think their way through it. I was going to say, be at a level where they have a spell that could help them. Whether yeah. they understand that that spell does that or not, like they'll learn. But yeah. the fact that they have it in their roster, I think, is important. It's not just that. It's giving them the opportunity to put themselves in a situation where they can make that argument to get advantage or disadvantage, or, you know, to get advantage on their role, right? Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, any player that you're going to throw the, uh, one of these creatures at might not necessarily, the first time anyways, know how to change their situation in order to get that advantage. Give it, you know, let them build up to it. Yeah. Yeah. And frankly, when you come into one of these save or die scenarios, whether it is a intellect devourer or a Medusa or Beholder, whatever it is, when you get up to that like, hey, if I fail this save, I'm screwed. I like to do it to an NPC in front of the party first. Yeah. Let them know the nightmare that they're going to face the first time they see it. Yeah. After that, everybody I know has faced a, an intellect devourer before the next time that I say, "Oh, you see a brain on the desk," everyone's just gonna be like, "Well, wait, fuck, other, other, other feet." I'm leaving the room. Yeah. <laughs> I turn around and I walk away. <laughs> New. No. Yeah, I close the door. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode on conditions. There are many more to cover, and we will be circling back to them over the next few months. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast and make sure to check out our episode next week when we are covering half-elves. Half-elves and half-orcs. I think it's you guys with Dan. Yes. Yeah, it is. I was like, I was like yeah. we... We did that one already. We talked about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, don't let people know we record these out of order. Oh, dear. <laughs> You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Is there a condition in D&D that does not exist that you think should exist? A condition effect of... A mechanic that you sit there and say, hey, I really want there to be a, a ruling for this in the book somewhere. <laughs> I was about to say being tired, but I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that exists and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, grab dice. Let's roll. All right. All right. I got a 15. Three. 14. Um, I want a burned condition. I want burning. I want mechanics for what the fuck happens while you are on fire. Mm. And not just a 1d6 on some breath weapons and stuff that happen, right? Like, I want a, you are immolated. You are a protesting monk. Yeah. And you are on fire. But I mean, why burned? Because once you get burned, you have already taken that damage. And then... No, no, no. I mean, consistently, round after round, on fire. You are burning. Okay, well, you take fire damage then. That's, there you go. Fire damage. So your your clothes are on fire. Yeah, but therefore burning. But and no, take no, no. Fire damage yeah, but every that, round. No, that's not the mechanic in fifth ed, Dave. That's not how it works anymore. Well, then that's the one they should use. That's my answer. <laughs> I feel like I always reference mechanics that exist in other D and D campaigns, like previous editions. Right. So. Yeah. No. Before that was the case, but now when you get hit with fire, anything spell or or dragon breath or anything, 
everything around you will burn except items that the character is carrying and you are not taking fire damage round after round anymore. We just don't have that enough. That's what homebrew rules are for. You just kind of force it on the players. That's my point of the question, though, Dave. Is that it's something yeah. that should exist? Should it be interesting? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're on fire, you should be taking fire damage. So you said burned, and it's more burning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like a damage over time kind of thing. Yes, we yeah. don't have any of those cumulative... Like, there was a bleed mechanic in one of the previous editions yep. as well, where you get sliced open and continue to bleed until it stops. We don't have that anymore. Yeah. And I, I miss that. Yeah, I've seen that in other games. What's, like, Wounded, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you do see that. Uh, I would, honestly, like, the opposite of fire. You know, if you're out in the cold, maybe a, an increasing hypothermia kind gonna, of condition. I was also going to say, like, mine was going to be like, it was thinking hypothermia too, so how can I opposite this to, to Adam? Yeah, I want to always be the opposite of him. <laughs> yeah, but to add to the hypothermia piece, it'd be neat to have, like, a body decay mechanic for if you got frostbite. Yeah, you see, I'm fine with, a lot of people just use exhaustion yeah. for that. But, like, the physical, like, like you to the point where you'd have to amputate your hand. Like, your hand yeah. specifically does not work, or your fingertips. Or well, hold on, is that yours then, Megan? Is you need an amputation mechanic? Shut up. <laughs> Megan's character lost her leg in the last one because Dan shot it off with a crossbow. He just took it out of the kneecap. Jesus. Yeah, that dick. Yeah. You probably had it coming, though. Uh, it's true. I did I did kill a lot of innocent women and children. So. It, 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 <laughs> as is tradition, yeah. In a church, by the way. I did. <laughs> it happens. I am okay? a good person. <laughs> The paladin wasn't, though. Yeah. She was the paladin. I was the paladin. <laughs> it's role-playing. You don't have to be what you are in I real life. role-playing, guys. <laughs> but what would you do for hypothermia? What would you... Would it be? Because you were saying exhaustion mechanic would kind of work for that. Yeah. But. Yeah, exhaustion would work. And then, again, instead of taking burning damage over every round, you take cold damage. Yeah. It's pretty straight. Yeah, pretty straightforward. I, I like the idea of your your mental stats dropping with your, like, you're taking stat damage for hypothermia over time. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily hit points, but you were just unable to know which direction is north because your wisdom has dropped to a six and, you know, you can't lift things because you're shivering. You're like, it, maybe it's con saves against hypothermia, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you for listening.